0: The views expressed by your hosts, Austin and Landon, are not necessarily the views of Lincoln Financial Advisors. Let's lean in as Austin and Landon connect with this week's Tycoons.
1: Good afternoon, Tycoons, and welcome to this episode of Tycoons of Small Biz. Austin Peterson here with co-host Landon Mance, and we are excited today to have in studio with us Eric Stoffers, CEO of BioAccelerator. Eric has one of the the most interesting backgrounds I think I've ever seen uh, in an entrepreneur. So we'll let him tell his story a little bit about, uh, you know, starting in restaurant management, then moving to a real estate investment trust, and now currently a stem cell therapy company. So Eric, welcome to the show. Thank you very much for having me. I really appreciate it. It's an honor to be associated with you guys. And anytime you're associated with the word tycoon as a CEO, it's kind of cool. So thanks. It is, you know, and we put a lot of effort and thought into coming up with the name, and I felt that it was the the right name for the show. And you know, the whole reason we do this show is to highlight small businesses throughout the country. Most people think about Amazon and Facebook and Microsoft, and you know those are the those are the companies that people think of as CEOs that are tycoons. But the reality is ninety nine percent of the businesses in this country are small businesses. and there are some very, very talented, CEOs and other executives in these businesses, as well as owners, owners and founders that uh, have founded these great businesses, and so we uh, we look forward to highlighting yours today. Cool, yeah, very cool. Again, pleasure to be here. Thanks for the invite. Yeah, so you know we're going to start off with something that's that's kind of close to to home for me. Um, you, you mentioned you know some some professional athletes that use your services. So there's you know. Chuck Liddell, Ruben Foster, and Jim McMahon is what you is what you mentioned specifically. And you're you know we're going to ask you why those athletes use your facilities. But before we jump into that, I just wanted to give you my background on Jim McMahon. So Jim McMahon was a childhood hero for me, mm. and then he broke my heart when he left for the NFL and said the best thing about Brigham Young University was seeing it in his rearview mirror as he pulled mm-hmm. away. And so, you know, he he broke my heart and then he's kind of redeemed himself and actually graduated from BYU a couple of years ago. And so they, they put him into the uh, Hall of Honor and those sorts of things. So, you know, it, it's kind of close to home for me and he's here in, in the local area. But, you know, let's start with that. I mean, why are so many professional athletes using your services and going to your facility?
2: Yeah, cool. Good question. So, you know, it's it's a whole host of different reasons for the individual, uh, the the players that are at the top of their game. Um, and I'll, I'll do a little bit of name dropping where I can, where they've allowed us to release their names. But, you know, guys like Henry Cejudo, who's also a, a local guy, he's a, a WFC champ, champ, they call him because he has two belts. Pretty remarkable. Um, uh, guys like him that are still at the top of their game are coming to us to heal from an orthopedic injury. Or what they may not say or may not be allowed to say because of USADA and some other rules is that it's also a little bit of a secret weapon in the sense that it gives uh, people a rejuvenation factor that allows them to heal quicker, feel better, faster, stronger, more energy. Um, so the the UFC fighters specifically like to come to us before their camp, uh, pre-fight, to get through their camp. And some of them, people like Chris Cyborg, who is also, a, uh, I think, the only woman that's had four belts in four different promotions in her lifetime, uh, she will tell you that um, it's the only camps that she's been through that she didn't have a nagging injury. And these guys are all, you know, really beat up. So for those guys that are still at the top of their game, they're, you know, they're different reasons. For people like Jim McMahon, you know, and he has a very well-documented history of concussions. Um, And so he, this is nothing that he won't tell you himself or hasn't been pretty well publicized. Uh, But we have a proprietary protocol where we inject into the spinal column. It's an interthecal injection of mesenchymal stem cells. And our thought process is that it's going to do the same thing that it does with neurological conditions. And so while we treat people with like Jim McMahon for potentially the slowing of the progression of CTE, and I I say it that way because we really don't know is the truth. CTE is one of those things that is so new and, and typically only diagnosed post-mortem. You know, so that the thought process is that if we can treat guys, and I'm again, a little bit of name dropping where I can, but Matt Hughes, who is also a former UFC champion who had this very well-documented um, train accident where he was left in a condition that most people just are vegetables from. We're treating him for a neurological condition and seeing b- big improvements in motor function and, and all sorts of um, neurological function. So the thought process with a guy like Jim is that it'll help slow the progression of CTE. Now, CTE is probably already set in from the multiple concussions, but if it can help him either be relieved of potential symptoms that he's seeing, like maybe mood swings or, um, and, you know, that's for him to, to tell you. But um, if it can help alleviate those now and then maybe potentially alleviate them getting
1: worse in the future, that's why guys like Jim come to us. Yeah. I think that's interesting, you know, and we we try to stay in touch with all of our guests, quite honestly, but I know for sure that all want to stay in touch regardless, just because I also sit on the advisory council for the Brain Injury Alliance of Arizona. And it's just crazy to watch all the different things, whether it's traumatic brain injury or anything to do with the brain. And if there's something that you guys are bringing to the table that can help these people, it'd be great for me to, to understand and know more about that. And you know, connect the right people. So that's... I'd love
2: to go further on that, you know, maybe offline here, but we also do a lot of work and I don't don't think I put it in the uh, introductory uh, email uh, set of questions, but we do a lot of work with vets also because they're exposed to multiple concussion, multiple traumatic brain injury, even just from training rounds, Um, right? You know, it's not even seeing combat. So they're, you know, sometimes hundreds and thousands a week of small multiple concussions, so um, you know PTSD and those
1: symptoms coincide with concussion as well. So we do a lot of f- philanthropic work with those guys. Yeah, that's great. I mean, veterans is something very close to my to my heart as well. My brother's a, a veteran, and and he actually had a medical release from the from the Marines way back in the day. And so it, it's it's really what kind of put him on the trajectory that he's been on throughout his life. He's just a year younger than me, so. You know, it, we've butted heads over the years, but we're trying to figure out and, and have kind of in, in recent years figured out how to be better friends. Um, and I've learned from him what the Marines taught him, which has been fantastic for me. And, and I've always had, you know, great respect for the military and anything that you're doing to help them is even better. So.
2: Yeah, my personal life, I do a little bit more in the sense that I, um, I, I donate to a couple of really good organizations that help vets get back to better brain health. And uh, even, you know, there's some, so there's some really cool organizations that are doing stuff up. You know, we're, we're on the science side for my business, right? Sure. But um, there's another piece of it that's more holistic. And um, there's a lot of vets that are also seeking help through, um, you know, more uh, natural things like cannabinoids or psilocybin or even ayahuasca, um, which is pretty interesting.
1: Yeah. 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 So tell us about the organizations real quick. I mean, I know it's not in the list of questions, but we'd sure. love to hear. Heroic about Hearts
2: uh, Foundation is is a really good organization. Um, they typically, and I actually went on a, a, a pretty neat uh, retreat with them. Um, I've sponsored several groups before. And so they invited me at one point to come down with some of these vets and actually see the experience. And so we went to Peru and uh, we we did some ayahuasca together with a group of vets, um, which, you know, sounds like a bunch of, you know, bunch of dudes in the jungle uh, getting high—it uh, wasn't that. Uh, I mean, there's a component of it. Yeah, <laughs> um, you know that that definitely wasn't the purpose. It was guided by a shaman that you know had been doing this for a very long time, trained by thousands of years of, of shaman that were doing it specifically as a coming of age ritual, or um, you know, a, a uh, you know, becoming a man ritual, and then and then also a um, you know, instead of having a counselor to talk to, this is kind of a the, the ritual that you go through. Um, But I watched specifically uh, three or four guys that, you know, had had some pretty intense experiences on the ayahuasca and and recalling some of the traumas that they had gone through. And, you know, there's a a part of me at the beginning that felt really bad because I was there, you know, living a a, a pretty sheltered life in, in the sense of what I was hearing from these guys. And, you know, at the end of the day, everybody uh, can learn something from the experience, but I I learned more from their experience and watching them go through growth in a very short amount of time. So it was pretty neat. But anyways, that that was a
3: good organization to stand behind. Can you just just for those of us that don't know what what exactly is ayahuasca and what what effects does it does it have on you? Can you just kind of just very briefly just tell us a little bit about what that is?
2: Yeah, cool. Shoot. I, I, my mom's listening. So I, you know, I didn't think we were going to get into this, but uh, (laughs) (laughs) um, no. So it's, I I mean, look guys, it's, it's uh, something that you don't mess around with. It was something that I went into because I had sponsored vets before and I knew it was powerful and I wasn't ready for it. It is a route uh, from the Amazon and, and there are different variations of this route around the globe. Um, There's something that's kind of similar here in the West. That is a cactus. It's not peyote, but it's something kind of similar. But the real ayahuasca is a root that is derived, you know, just from a plant. But it's a root that'll grow up the side of a tree, and it's you know twenty inches thick, and it you know it looks like a, a python at the beginning, and then it you know goes to where you can't see it anymore. Um, but you you chop this root and you um, you boil it essentially, and you you boil it with this other leaf but what it does is it, it essentially, uh, is it the DMO DMT? I can't remember the acronym, but, um, it, it gives you a hallucinogenic type experience. So, you know, I would say it's, um, you know, mushrooms times a thousand, but mm-hmm. in a spiritual way, not just a hallucinogenic way. Again, it, it's not anything that I would recommend, to anybody really, mm-hmm. uh, unless you're doing some real work. And, and that's what, you know, these shaman call it is it's, it's real work and you have to be guided. And, and it, it's really nasty in the sense that it, it creates a really violent purge in a, in a lot of cases. Um, so it, it's not a recreational thing at all. Um, but it does put your body into this hallucinogenic, um, you know, for lack of better terms, high, um, that really, that, that, starts to uncover these things about yourself and where you want to be in life or what you've done in the past. And, and you actually end up working out some of your, you know, some of your psychological
1: uh, wants and needs.
3: Very, interesting. Closest, Very I, interesting.
1: closest I get to that is uh, prickly pear ice cream from Topo <laughs> on Gilbert Road in Gilbert. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> it It creates a nice feeling for me. I mean, I go there once a week with my daughter because I love it so much, but yeah, no, I think that you know it, it's one of those things where there are these different types of roots and so forth that are out there that that can have benefits, right? And and it's like you said, it's not about recreational use; it's yeah. about what it's going to do to help these guys overcome the trauma that they've lived through and different things that they're that they're dealing with on a daily basis. So, yeah, no, I think it's I, I think that there are things here on this earth that we use when we should use them in the proper way, and in this instance, I think it's the the right way to use it. I will tell you that, you know, that the shaman, so,
2: you know, his, our group was, was, um, derived more of vets and there was a couple of professional athletes in there as well. But, um, the shaman in having side conversations, they do a lot of business with CEOs and multi-multi-millionaires and even billionaires that are doing it for growth and for work. It's not, you know, again, it's not about
1: getting high. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for sharing. Yeah.
3: Yeah, I'm sure we could have a, we could have a lengthy conversation about some of your experiences there. But um, speaking of experiences, Eric, you've had some really interesting uh, things that you have built and been a part of in the past. And I know that we're all excited to hear more about what you're doing right now, but maybe spend a couple of minutes and just tell us a little bit about your entrepreneurial roadmap and, you know, what you've done and and built and kind of how it led you to where you are today.
2: Okay. Yeah. Great. Happy to tell the story. And, you know, it's kind of funny when you ask because I, you know, as I reflect on it, I was just living, you know, I was just doing what I was doing, but it is an interesting trajectory in the sense that I'm in the medical field. Now I, I have to preface all this by saying, I'm not a doctor. I'm not a scientist. I'm a business guy, but yeah. So in the early years, and I, I'm a Phoenician, um, born and raised or zony, depending on, you know, whether you've been to San Diego recently and been yelled at. <laughs> um, but so born and raised uh, my parents. Um, one of them is born here. One of them was from California, but I, I don't know if that makes me second generation or not. But either way, uh went to NAU, uh, cut my teeth in the restaurant and bar industry, started my first job as a busser. Um, actually, I think in, in one of my bios, I, I joke and say I've been an entrepreneur since grade school when I was selling garbage pill kids in trading cards in the, you know, on recess, which by the way, I still have a stack of. I went through the garage the other day. It was pretty interesting to look back at if you remember those. (laughs) The restaurant bar business is really where I spent the early part of my career, you know, started bussing tables, moving into serving and then bartending and then managing and uh, eventually took on some more corporate roles and then um, started a, a consulting role as well where I was opening up more restaurants around the country. Um, Worked with a good local chain here. P.F. Chang's was a a big part of that organization for a while. Um, And then, you know, some other restaurants. But so that was certainly where I got to know people, where I got to understand, um, you know, different markets and how to uh, really just how to communicate with people, you know, because you deal with all walks of life. I think that, um, and I, I tell my daughter this, I think at some point in your early career, you should be in the restaurant business at least for a year or something. But so after I transitioned out of the restaurant business, um, I had been a realtor for quite a few years, doing some private sales while I was in the restaurant business. Sometimes I would meet people through the restaurant, or uh, mostly it was you know myself, friends, and family. Had a couple of fix and flips, or you know a couple of uh, rental properties on my own. So that was really the majority of my experience up until that point. And then the recession came, two thousand seven, and you know that was not just identified by me, but identified by a lot of investors that that was a good time to buy, especially here in Phoenix, when our homes were 40 to 60% under value, uh, you couldn't build them for what we we're, you know, buying several right. of them for. So, uh, so I, I transitioned into putting together investment portfolios. I mean, it was started with a couple of single family home rentals, two, three, and then expanded to five and then 10 and then 15. And then I teamed up with a group here locally that was doing the same thing, just on a bigger scale. And I started working through their organization. I mean, it was kind of ours. It was more theirs. But, um, you know, going from acquisitions director to uh, more of a a corporate role. And then I also started in venture capital with the REIT, you know, because a big component of the REIT is continuing to, you know, have the capital coming in and buying bigger portfolios or, or, you know, buying and selling. That was part of it. At that time, it was buying and holding, but you know, eventually you end up selling. So, uh, so I, I kind of really excelled in that piece. Also, I wasn't as much doing the real estate that I had hoped. Um, it was more of a, a managerial role, and then a raising capital, and then turned into C-suite, and we took the company public, and you know, everything was great. And um, really, what happened was uh, I was I was helping a friend co-list. A property in Cabo San Lucas, and it, it wasn't my listing. Really, it was it, I was helping with marketing. Really, that's what he came to me. He was a local guy here. He said, "Hey, I've you know I've got this property. It's a twenty-five million dollar property in Cabo San Lucas in the East Cape. Um, used to be pretty famous with presidents and dignitaries, and and uh, there's a big fishing expedition there. And but it, it needs a lot of work, and we're really kind of getting beat up by the Starwoods of the world. You know, when we're asking them for twenty-five million, and they're coming back with five or six million, and um, you know, and this family had had it in their their um, portfolio for 40, 50 years, and it was something they were emotionally attached to. So, thinking outside of the box, we started looking into what at that time was starting to be more of a hot button, especially being in a border state like Arizona, and the term was medical tourism. So, there were all these medical tourism conversations starting to happen that, um, you know, that I thought, well, hey, maybe. Maybe there's a, a group of dentists or plastic surgeons that might be able to take down this property together and do some work. And it could be a medical tourism destination. Let's start, let's start marketing to those guys. So it was really just kind of a marketing thought, thinking outside of the box. We came across this group that was doing stem cell therapy, and they were very interested in partnering with some other people for a medical tourism destination. And, you know, at that point, the only thing I had heard about stem cell therapy was in the you know, maybe early 2000s with George Bush and how he kind of put the, you know, the, uh, the kibosh on, on really um, exploring the real high-level research because of the embryonic stem cell and the source of it and the, the controversy behind that. And that was really all I knew. Um, luckily for me, I got to be a part of uh, these, these scientists and their due diligence in, in our property But it also allowed me to do some due diligence and have some cool conversations about what is stem cell therapy. And as I dug deeper and deeper and deeper and got to be a part of some of their patients testimonials, and this was through one of my due diligence trips to their facility, I just happened to be there with some patients that were really raving about the remarkable results. And, you know, there was a a family where the, the daughter was crying and hugging one of the doctors and saying, you know, you saved my dad, you saved our family because, You know, we didn't think we're going to be able to talk to him again. Now I think there's some hope, and I don't even know what he was suffering from. But it was just, you know, that scene was remarkable to me, and it it kind of it it tugged on my heartstrings a little bit. And um, that property didn't work out for them. But over the next, I don't know, maybe 18 months or so, they were saying, "Hey, we kind of need a business guy to help us. Hey, you know, can you? What do you think about this?" And you know, so we just had these other little meetings, and they they were soliciting me to do some work for them. And eventually, over time. Um, I became as enamored as anybody else could be, and I, I left the, the REIT and um, you know had to give out my ownership interest in it and joint ventured and went off and started what we call Bioscience Americas, which is DBA bioaccelerator. So that's that's kind of how I got here. Yeah, it's
1: a cool story. What do you think Landon? A cool story. You, What's your next what's your next venture? Stem cell. Would, it's pretty tough. I wouldn't recommend it, especially <laughs> if you're going to be a competitor of mine. I don't, I don't. Yeah, now, I, I think we've um, learned already that Eric would squash you like a bug.
3: Yeah, I think so. I, I think uh, for starters, Eric, tell us just what is stem cell therapy and, and what exactly are you doing right now? Just break it down for us, uh, us lames.
2: Yeah, I wish I had one of my patient advocates to answer this question. You know, they do this every day, all day. But there's, there's just so many different perceptions of what stem cell is. So the basics are this. Uh, we all have stem cells in our body. They're the cell that is able to continuously divide and replicate to essentially heal um, what it's supposed to fix. Now, it doesn't heal everything. It's not a 100% miracle. But um, over time, that cell, just like basically everything else in your body, slows down in its um, differentiation and it's dividing. So it doesn't stop totally, but it just slows down. So um, what we are able to do with the high level and the advanced stem cell therapy is give high, high doses of a very specific stem cell to treat a very specific injury, um, whether it's orthopedic or neurological or autoimmune disease. But we are able to essentially help your body at by injecting millions and millions and millions of more fresh, and I'm using kind of layman's terms to make it easy, the most potent stem cells on the planet to help your body heal itself. And really, what they do is they, they signal your own body to stimulate more repair within your body. Your body is still the, the miracle of it all. So, simplistically, that's it. There are a lot of different variations between what's going on in the US and what we're able to do offshore. My clinic happens to be offshore, even though we're based here in Arizona. Our, our, uh, our administrative office is here, Our corporate office is here. but um, unfortunately the highest level advanced stem cell therapy, it can only be done offshore unless you're in the collegiate, the university setting, under a clinical trial, um, which by the way, we, we do that also, but um, you know in the clinical trial setting or just research setting, which is usually with, you know with, with animals, not
1: with humans. Yeah. So, I want to get into that a little bit more, but let's take a quick break for a word from our sponsor and then we'll talk a little bit more about Offshore and why and learn from there. Pretty cool.
3: At Paylocity, we deliver more than our awesome product suite with crazy good reviews. We prioritize your success by covering you
1: with a deep support system to back up our easy-to-use, innovative HR solutions. Everything we do is designed to support you in reaching your
3: goals. Together, we tackle your day-to-day work so that you can spend more time building the culture you and your employees crave. For professionals who crave true
1: partnership, Halocity is the HR and payroll company that frees you from the tasks of today, so together we can spend more time focused on the promise of tomorrow. Let's go forward together. All right, welcome back. So right before the break, you talked a little bit about offshore stem cell therapy being a little bit different than what's in the US and you guys are offshore and you're in Colombia. So tell us, you know, why Colombia and then give us a little bit of difference between, you know, stem cells in the US and offshore.
2: Okay, yeah, perfect. So the I think the 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 question why Colombia is is perfect to start with because a lot of people that are researching stem cell and the ones that are researching it and, and already have an understanding that really they have to go offshore for the best, um, not just bang for your buck, but just really the most advanced therapy. Um, they, they're, some of their first questions are, you know, why Colombia? And, you know, a lot of people think that it's because of deregulation, and it's actually the opposite. So, Colombia, as we were identifying targets, and, you know, we wanted to be in the Western Hemisphere. Um, Mexico was a, a huge target. Obviously, you know, being from Arizona, it would be a stone's throw away. It would be perfect for us. Um, uh, people from the U.S. are typically a lot more comfortable going to Mexico than they are Colombia, which if you look at the, the murder rates and, and the crime, that's actually not really a good idea. But you know, we all, um, as, as Americans, we have uh, the perception of Colombia, especially the city that we're in, Medellin. Which most people would say Medellin, but I, yeah. you know, I the, the locals call it Medellin. Um, but we know it because of Pablo Escobar and because of what you see on Narcos, and which was very, very true—a big part of their history. And sure, you know, you can't run away from it. But what I did find as we were identifying targets is, you know, we we're looking at some other countries in Latin America: Argentina, Chile, Colombia, and then um, you know, Mexico. And as we were digging into the regulatory piece. And the medical system, there isn't a country, maybe outside of Cuba, that has a better better, better medical system than Colombia. And I think part of that, as I you know now understand it better, I think part of it was because of their violent history. You know, there was a, a point where they were a war zone essentially for you know decades, and so they they started off having maybe some of the best surgeons in the world, which ended up going and training surgeons all around the world, and then. Surgeons that wanted to be trained went to Colombia, but then their medical system just grew from there. So they have um, in in the city of Medellin, which is about 5 million people, they have, I believe it's six, it's five or six level one trauma centers. And to give some context to that, you know, there might be one of those here in Phoenix. Um, There might be three in New York, city of 12 million. So it's a robust medical system that that was what really started standing out as we were looking at you know it, it came down to Mexico Colombia Mexico Colombia, and then um, the regulation with the Pri in Mexico was actually much more uh, you know I don't want to use the word but it was kind of more corrupt it, it it was just it was it was filtering to the top pretty quickly what we were going to have to do to be an operating clinic yeah. and it was handout and it wasn't. It had nothing to do with the legitimacy of your organization or your science or the treatment of the the patients. It was how much are you going to pay me? So that really you know turned me off pretty quickly. Um, and then so that made us dig into Colombia a little bit more. And the regulatory piece there is much more stringent even than the U.S. You cannot put a clinic like um, we did in the U.S. Or you could put a clinic here with essentially having a doctor sign you know a paper, submit it to the state, and say, "Hey, I'm opening up shop here in the U.S." Done easy. This was, for us, it was 600 pages of documents. It was six months of vetting. It was just, it was very, very robust, but they have a very progressive uh, outlook at stem cell. And so they have actually regulated further than the FDA. So it's not about deregulation. It was actually just better regulation. Mm -hmm. Um, And so what the FDA has done here in the U.S., it's not legal or illegal. It's just not defined. It's not defined well enough for high-level science. Um, meaning, there's a there's a, a health and human services code within the FDA. It's I believe part two one one two seven one something like that, and they say that you can do minimal manipulation to the cellular-based compound, and then um, that that refers to like bone marrow or stem cells, and they don't define the word minimal. And so for us in the business of doing advanced therapy. We don't know if that means put it in a centrifuge or enzymatic breakdown or culture expansion. and But we know what we do is much further past minimal um, manipulation. So what we're able to do offshore is more than minimal manipulation. So we're able to take a single stem cell uh, and multiply it to be hundreds and hundreds of millions so that it's more potent. Where in here in the States... We are really only allowed to take a stem cell from your body, re-inject it into a different place. So it's not growing it, it's not expanding it, it's not making sure that that stem cell is viable. It's just repurposing it, so to speak. So that, that's a major difference.
3: So, in your opinion, why why do you think it why why do you think it's it is what it is like that? Wow. Um,
2: so yeah, really good question. There's there's a a couple of levels. I mean, from our, where the regulat- regulatory piece started with what I mentioned previously, where George Bush kind of slowed it down because of the controversy of the embryonic stem cell, totally get that, um, you know, the, the the way things were going, we we needed to kind of pump the brakes. Um, so I think that was a piece of it, but really, um, you know, and I, I don't like putting this out in the universe too much because it's a fight I don't want to fight, but the U.S. medical system specifically is run not by preventative medicine, but by treating symptoms, and you know, big pharma is it, 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 is slowing this down. I mean, they're they're investing hundreds of millions of dollars in lobbyists to slow this down over the last couple decades or decade or so. So, I mean, really, it, it comes down to that that piece, that and. This is not medicine. It's a combination of very high-level science and then the application by medicine, by medical doctors. And honestly, there's not a lot of medical doctors in the U.S., and no fault of their own, but they just they don't know enough about it. But what I get a lot of from doctors here in the U.S. is they say, oh, yeah, stem cell is great. It's, you know, I read a couple of journals on it, and man, it's the, the future of medicine. But they don't know that it's actually happening now. And I don't blame them because, you know, doctors, especially if you consider these guys to be the best in the world or the best in the U.S., they're typically not young guys right out of med school. So they've spent the last 20 years in practice, probably, you know, just doing a great job and every day focusing on that. And then their continuing education is in their specialty. It's not stopping everything they need to do with their specialty, backing up and going to a scientist, a scientific level, and then going to get a PhD. Um, so they, they really just, they, they don't know how quickly it has advanced. So we don't have the support. It's, you know, a 50-50 um, support structure with doctors. A lot of doctors say, oh yeah, it's future medicine. And then some of them say, ah, oh, it's snake oil. It's, you know, it, it, it doesn't work. It's just because they've had a bad experience and they don't know what they don't know.
1: So what you're telling me is that uh, lobbyists and politicians ruin everything. <laughs> I mean, that's that's what I took from it. I don't know about, about you, Landon, but that's what I took from it. And yeah. maybe, maybe I'm just, you know, right to in the thick of all, all this. One,
3: I, <laughs> I, I, was, I was talking with my practice coordinator before our call, and uh, we, we did, you know, just a, a few minutes of research on it, because I, I don't know anything about stem cell, You know, uh, the, you know, the work that you're doing. But I said, uh, you know, if it's if it's something that's that's probably outlawed, it's because the the, you know, the powers to be, they don't want to get involved in it or uh, they they see it as as a threat. So they're they're going to they're going to do everything they can to prevent it from becoming a thing. So I think we're all on the same page here. (laughs)
1: <laughs> well, and the other thing that I took from that is, you know, if you don't know this, Sophia, Sophia Vergara is from Medellin, Colombia. And so it's it's quite possible that she's 85 or 90 years old but because <laughs> of the stem cell treatment. She looks right, the way she yes, does. Right, right. <laughs> so, oh, Landon, you want to go with the next question?
3: Yeah, definitely. So as two guys sitting here learning a lot of this, you know, firsthand from you. Uh, help us and our listeners to understand, you know, what what sets bioaccelerator apart from people that are doing what you're doing in other other places, other countries, other clinics? So there's a
2: couple of things. Um, one of them is is one that I, I don't think any other you know, if you had if I was to give you the top five clinics in the world and I would put, this in that, put us in that same handful of people, I don't think any of them would talk about the experience that we give to our patients, the bedside manner, and, and the overall service aspect. So that's one of the things that I, I know for sure none of our competitors have. And, and I don't like to highlight that first, even though I'm doing it now, but really the science is the first thing that we need to talk about. And there are other clinics that have essentially our same science, our, our main competitor in Panama, who is, you know, a brilliant guy and been around for 12 years, um, you know, much longer than us, um, which we have a relationship with, um, you know, we, we know we have the same science. We have the same scientists. We have the same type of laboratory. We have the same uh, uh, basic essential treatment from the stem cell perspective. What he doesn't have, or, or some of the other competitors don't have, is they don't also combine that with the high-level medical piece to do the more invasive applications to be more specific, especially relating to orthopedic uh, and neurological. So whereas they will just do stem cells and they have a great laboratory, great PhDs overseeing the science, great science, they'll just inject it to you in an IV. And a lot of times you get great results. So you, you can't blame them. It's easy, done, you know, non-invasive for the patient. See you later, have a nice day. And, uh, and that's all fine and good. But I think one of the reasons that the higher level athletes have kind of turned us into their premier destination is because we take that simple IV. And yes, of course we do that also, but we also have very specific targeted injections for orthopedic issues. And we have pioneered things, um, like the, the CTE treatment, for, um, you know, for those athletes. And, you know, it's, it's athletes that don't even know if they have CT. They just, they figure, yeah, I probably did. I've, I've had plenty of concussions or stingers or whatever they call them. Uh, so those are some things that set us apart in the orthopedic side, but going back to the service piece, um, it was really important for us at the beginning, um, for me specifically to find a group of doctors that were not only had had the best resume. So we have neurosurgeons that are, have their fellow in spine and you know, very specialized, very high level, you know, highest level doctors in the world. For us, it was also important to find those same doctors that not only understood stem cell, which drastically narrows that bucket pretty quickly, but then also had some pretty, pretty neat bedside manner. Um, which is something that we don't have a lot of in the U.S. anymore. And gosh, I hope doctors are not <laughs> taking this as a bashing session because I work with doctors every day. I love doctors. I'm not a doctor. I would never put myself anywhere near their category. But the reason I'm saying this is because our patients say it every single day. Um, when we're asking patients for testimonials and the ones that are gracious enough to do it for us and you know, put it on video or put it on their social media for their friends and family or whatever, it's a very, very common theme for them to say, wow, I can't believe that these doctors spent so much time with me and they really cared. I had a doctor sit there and do a a physical examination and it took two hours. And then they stayed with me the rest of the day to watch me walk and make sure that I, that, that they were really diagnosing me, you know, in the way that I should be. Um, and so that's that's a common theme. And and we also have it with professional athletes. And I'll, I'll tell the story about Chuck Liddell, who is, you know, a mixed martial artist. He's retired now, but maybe one of the most recognizable UFC fighters of all time. Um, he came to our clinic, him and his wife, Heidi, and their kids, great family. He was doing stem cell for all sorts of orthopedic issues. As you can imagine, he's pretty beat up. Um, but he talked about this on a podcast recently, and I'm glad he did because I didn't even, I, I didn't really realize this, but he was down there for also some back issues and our, our neurosurgeon and our spinal surgeons and orthopedic surgeons, sports doctors, they all kind of gather around and not just because he's Chuck Liddell. We do that with all our patients. Um, but they, you know, they were looking at his images and they said, wait, I, I, you've got a problem. You need surgery. This stem cell is not going to help you at all. You need surgery for this. How, how has this not been caught by another doctor? And they weren't putting down any other doctors, but it, it was just kind of like obvious to them. And so and and Chuck said, hey, you know, I've got access to the best doctors in the world. I'm in L.A. I, you know, I've been a UFC fighter forever. Um, Yeah, I don't know why. Let me go back to my let me get a second opinion and go back to my guy. They did. They went back to L.A. and somebody said, oh, my gosh, yeah, I don't know how we missed it. But yeah, let's get you in there. Let's get your surgery right away. Um, So we hear that kind of thing, too. And I I obviously use Chuck Liddell because he's recognizable. But that happens to our regular patients all the time. Um, so it's that level of service, um, really, you know, knowing uh, intimately about my organization that I know sets us apart that nobody has. Um, but from a scientific side, nobody here in the U.S. can touch us.
3: Yeah, interesting. So I can just just briefly, I, I just kind of want to give you some kudos for, for that because uh, my wife and I, uh, you know, we just had our twins uh, about uh, two months ago. Uh, but we were, we were trying to have kids for over five years. So we have dealt with dozens and dozens of doctors and practices and medical staff and tests and procedures and medications and you name it. But our, our latest doctor, he was our high risk doctor once we got uh, pregnant. And the first day that we walked into his office, he tells my wife, pull your phone out right now. He forces her to put his personal cell phone into her phone, right? And he says, you call me or you text me 24 hours a day, seven days a week. If something feels weird, you stub your toe and you, you fall on your side. And I don't care what it is, but you call or text me anytime you have a thought a question a concern anything and I will tell you his bedside manner was unlike anything that we have experienced and it made the it made it an actual experience going to a high-risk doctor sometimes twice a week towards the end of the pregnancy so there i i can I can affirm what you are saying there are not a ton of Medical professionals that really focus on that that bedside manner, but but he did, and it, it made a huge difference in, uh, in in working with him.
2: All the difference in the world, right? And it, it, we take it a step further than that, even in the sense that um, you know there are other companies, and I've talked about some of our competitors that you know they'll give you the shot of the high level science, and if you're just looking at it from the science perspective, it's top notch. But we also know that your mind is a very very powerful thing. You know, stem cells and all of the cells in your body are affected by things like stress. And you know, when you're traveling to a different country and you and you're you're wanting to be treated from an ailment that you've been suffering from, your body and your mind are already on a high level of 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 that uh, anxiety and stress. Uh, I mean, that that could be a detriment to the stem cell therapy. So we have other programs that I didn't talk about, but there are other supportive therapies that we do that other clinics don't do um, that help. Uh, get you into a better state and a, a better state for your body to accept high doses of stem cells. So kind of from a competitive advantage, but to dovetail off what you're saying, it, it really makes a difference just on the attitude of the people around you. And our staff is exceptional at that. And not because I, I, we've really had to train them. I mean, I think my restaurant background helped in that hospitality piece, but it really wasn't me. It was just them as a a nurturing, um, just great bunch of people. So it, it does help. It's cool. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I mean, the science is the science is the science, right? And, and Landon, you may have thought of this too, but it, it just reminds me of, you know, what Landon and I do for our day jobs. You know, the products are the products are the products, right? When, when you're doing financial planning, ultimately, there's going to be a product sale typically at some point. But it's really about how and when to use that product and about the plan that's utilized to get you to that point. And that's where so many people that do what we do miss the boat is they're, they're leading with a particular product and trying to fit a, a square peg in a round hole, for example, sometimes. But if you start with the plan, build the plan, you know that you're going to provide excellent service along the way, and then the, the plan leads to a product sale that's completely unbiased. It's a different kind of an experience that clients get at the end, right? And you're doing the same thing, whether it's IV or, you know, the other ways that you guys are using it, you're listening to the client first and figuring out what's best for them and then employing the, the science.
2: Yeah, exactly. It's a, if you look at it from a sales perspective, it's a really tough sell. So it's a, a much more of a consultative sell and, you know, putting together that package and having kind of people come to us. You know luckily we have the high level science where people that educate themselves they end up finding us us and a handful of people but yeah it's it's um it would be a tough deal to try to push people into going to do experimental medical treatment in a in Colombia in Medellin that was at one point the most violent city in the world um so it's not
1: anything you can really push people to yeah Absolutely. So let's take a quick break for another word from our sponsor. And then we've got a few more questions for you. You okay to hang out for a bit? Yeah,
2: yeah. I'd love to. I'm
1: having a great time. Thanks.
0: Whether you're an established local company or a brand new startup, you can count on GBS to be part of your family. We're not just any benefits consulting firm. We're GBS. We have nearly 30 years of experience in group benefits, a strong sense of purpose, and it shows. GBS, believe in something better. GBSbenefits.com.
1: All right. Welcome back. So before the break, we were just talking about, you know, the science is the science is the science. But tell us more about the the science. I mean, what should people really know about stem cell therapy and the immune system, for example? Perfect. So one of the things, if you're interested in stem cell therapy,
2: one of the things that you'll find in your initial research is that there's several different sources of the stem cell. Uh, the stem cell can come from adipose tissue, which is typically just your your fat, really. So it's a, uh, what you see here in the U.S. is a very light liposuction procedure. Even though you call it light, it is still invasive. They're still slicing you open and putting a cannula in you and, and sucking fat off that was stuck to your skin. So um, it is painful. Uh, the other source, is, the other major source is from bone marrow. And as you can imagine, that doesn't feel good either. Um, Typically you have to do a a lumbar, or not a lumbar puncture, but a, uh, a puncture in your hip to pull out bone marrow. Now there's a bone marrow deficiency where it should have been. So, um, but those are, those are typical sources that you see here in the U S and not taking anything away from either one of those sources. Once you isolate or, or not even isolate, but what we do is we isolate the MSC. I'll talk about that in just a second, but the, the mesenchymal stem cell, the acronym is MSC. Um, it used to stand for mesenchymal stem cell. Now it's medical signaling cell. So that's kind of changing. But uh, nevertheless, the acronym is MSC. When you're getting it from bone marrow and adipose tissue, it's still an MSC. It's still a, a live, healthy, viable cell, um, which could be good for some issues. Typically, we, we don't see them being most effective with severe conditions that have progressed and are pretty bad. But if you're using those type of sources for lighter issues, maybe early onset orthopedic issues, um, there's some real efficacy behind it. And that's what you see here in the US. The problem with both of those extraction sources is that number one, they're painful. There's a little bit of a recovery time. But the biggest problem is that you're taking that MSC from your human body which is fine. But, you know, in my case, you know, it'd be in your early 40s. Um, and, you know, a lot of our patients that we see, they're, you know, they're guys and, and gals that want to be on the tennis court still and, and golf course still. And they're in their, you know, retirement golden, golden years. And, um, you know, so in their 60s and 70s. And what happens to that stem cell, like I mentioned earlier, is it, it stops dividing as rapidly as it used to. So whereas a brand new stem cell uh, derived from a a baby from an uh, an umbilical cord, just, just born today, that stem cell will double every 24 hours. And when it doubles and doubles and doubles over 30 days, that's almost a billion cells from that one stem cell. Uh, If you get to a guy that's in his thirties, that slows down to every 48 hours. And the difference there is now after 30 days of that, that 35, 36 year old stem cell, it slows down, and now it's only doubled over 30 days to just over 30,000 cells. So you have a difference of 1 billion cells and 30,000 cells. That's a big, big difference. Now, those 30,000 cells still might do something, especially if you repopulate it, inject it in your knee, and you're having light knee issues. Yeah, you might you, you might have complete relief from that. And then you can imagine as you get into your 60s and 70s, those stem cells slow even even more. So, so you're looking at a treatment that just is just not that effective. So what we do is we take a um, mesenchymal stem cell, we isolate it, we get it, we drive it from the umbilical cord. So again, non-controversial, this is not embryonic, this is a healthy mom, healthy baby going home, living healthy lives together. The mom donates the cord to science. Um, And and the testing process, it's not like they just say, oh, hey, I'm going to make this decision in the delivery room. This is something where they, they sign up with us right at the beginning of their pregnancy. And we test the mother, we test the family. We have a complete history on both sides of the family, both, you know, mom and dad, Are um, there's very strict exclusion criteria. So we do not allow the majority of people to even get into the program. Um, but nevertheless, when they are at the delivery stage, uh, we have our physician, our, well, it's our nurse that goes in and their OBGYN can't even handle the cord. It's, it's specifically for us. It has to be very pristinely taken care of, quarantined immediately, you know, uh, sealed perfectly. So anyways, the, the point is, is that that's where we we would get our uh, stem cells, our mesenchymal stem cells from the Wharton jelly piece, which is like a two, two inch by two inch piece in the, you know, we're so specific where, you know, we could have a, a two foot long cord and we take the Wharton jelly piece, which is two inches by two inches, because we know that the MSCs in that area do a specific thing. They differentiate exactly how we want them to. They they proliferate faster than any others and they divide faster. So we will just take that and that's where the science comes in. So we have a, a, you know, a a very highly technological scientific lab in our facility also. And what we do is we culture expand those cells. So essentially that's just helping them divide. So we obviously, we purify them, then we culture expand them. There's, there's, I'm simplifying it. Number one, I'm not a scientist. Number one, it's, you know, you would Four people to death if we went into the <laughs> the specifics, but um, that is the main
1: difference. So that's where we get our stem cells. Yeah. So the process, right? What do you think, Landon?
3: Yeah, interesting. Like I said, we, we had our our twins a couple a couple months ago. They both had uh, something called uh, fetal growth restriction. So when they were born, they were really small. My daughter was significantly smaller than my son. And when uh, they were both or after they were both both born, our, our doctor actually, you know, physically held up the uh, umbilical cords and we got to see the difference between the two of them. And my son's was twice the thickness of my daughter's because she had severe fetal growth restriction and he just had it uh, on a more minor level. So, um, but donating our, you know, the courts, you know, to science or, or a, a cause like yours, that was never even mentioned or brought up or suggested. I mean, it was never even an option on the, on the table. Um, how, how do people, how do people even know to want to do that? I mean, how, how does that even be, how does that get presented as an option?
2: We have affiliations with major hospitals, And, you know, we know the exclusion criteria already. So folks, unfortunately, in your position would have been excluded um, because of the, the preemie aspect. But, you know, we'll have if people early on in their pregnancy are looking to fit some of our inclusion criteria, then they will be presented the opportunity. And what we do as a benefit to them is we offer to take those MSCs from their particular child and um, expand them and store them for them.
3: Yeah, interesting. So as we kind of press up against the end of our conversation, which uh, has been super interesting, um, at least in my in my in my point of view. Um, so tell us, how does what you're doing? Is there any overlap to you know, the global pandemic that we're in right now, stem cell therapy, anything that you're doing in regards to your stem cell work, does it, does it have any effects, you know, for, for COVID-19?
2: Yeah. The cool thing about stem cell is, you know, so we, we end up seeing a lot of our patients, obviously they're coming to us that have, they've been living with pain for a long time. They're, they're treating some type of issue. Um, We also have the billionaire club and the the multi-multi-millionaire club and some actors that you would recognize, um, you know, that I can't talk about, but they, they've they been doing it for anti-aging and rejuvenation for a lot of years um, at our facility and others, but definitely at our facility, we see it all the time um, where it's, it's part of their yearly regimen, even though they're healthy. And the reason for that is that um, mesenchymal stem cells help modulate the immune system. Um, it upregulates or downregulates depending on what your body needs, but that the um, immune Modulation is the first thing that MSCs do. They attack inflammation and they stimulate growth and repair, but they modulate your immune system. So we have been seeing seeing an uptick in our uh, inbound calls. And it's people that have kind of educated themselves or heard something about it or already knew about it and say, hey, what is, you know, can, can we do this? I either had COVID or, you know, I, I don't, I, I want to try to boost my immune system to try to prevent it. Or maybe if I do get it, it won't be as bad of symptoms. Um, it all, MSCs also happen to be very, very good for the pulmonary system. So those two things in conjunction, you know, we're seeing an uptick in people that are that are seeking it out. But from our perspective, from a scientific perspective, you know, we're not going to make any grandiose claims that, yes, it's going to cure you from COVID because of course it's not. It has nothing to do with COVID. It would be from the comorbidities potentially, it would help um, upregulate your immune system. But what we are doing is we're participating in several clinical trials for you know things like CTE and some of these other things I've mentioned. But specifically for COVID nineteen, there's a there's a, a comorbidity and it's that I think it's the leading cause of people dying from COVID and it's ARDS, acute respiratory distress syndrome. Uh, so we're doing a clinical trial in Colombia. Um, we're also participating with a couple of groups, one in Argentina. Our scientific advisor at the University of Miami. Uh, Dr. Correa is a MD and a PhD. Uh, they just got the um, the same clinical trial approved through the FDA uh, to treat for ARDS for patients with COVID who are ventilated. Um, very very early on, we've seen some remarkable results, but it's such a small study. You know, you kind of you don't want to you don't want to get too excited about that. Um, there have been some studies in China because they obviously. Um, were ahead of us in the the pandemic. So there were some studies with ARDS, COVID and stem cells, also very remarkable results where 10 out of 10 patients came off of ventilators. You know, people that were basically given a death sentence came off of ventilators after having stem cell therapy, but you know, 10 patients is a pretty small study. So um, what we do know about the stem cells is it's great for the pulmonary system and it upregulates the immune system. So, you know, the, the hope and the dream is that, Um, You know, this will help some people with either the precursor or, you know, the people that had COVID and are potentially having fibrosis or some type of lung issue because of it, um, or maybe help the symptoms be a little bit less, you know, if they do get it.
1: So the real question is, as a guy who likes to do Ironman races, Mm -hmm. can you guarantee that I can qualify for the national championship with stem cell therapy? Absolutely not. No, I wish I could.
2: (laughs) Yeah, there's definitely no guarantee. It's like any other medical treatment and it's, you know, quite frankly, it's experimental. So there's no guarantees at all, but um, you know, we it doesn't have the side effects like pharmaceuticals. So it's better than cortisone. You know, we have a lot of athletes that that's a temporary thing. It True. it helps. It's great, but it it ends up car- causing really severe arthritis. So Yeah.
1: Yeah, I've had a few cortisone shots in in my day in in different injuries and so I I can see the benefit for sure. Iron well, man, that's, that's strong. That's, that's tough. Half Iron man. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. <laughs> I'm only half of a man. So, <laughs> it, uh, but it, I mean, it's one of those things that kind of keeps you in shape a little bit later in life. And, and um, that's actually been one of the toughest things with, with uh, everything with COVID-19 is not being able to get out and train the way that I, that I wanted to. And, my big thing actually right now, not to talk about me, but is, is I would love to go on American Ninja Warrior. Oh, very cool. And there's a gym in Gilbert where I live that, that helps you train for that and do all those different obstacle courses. And of course, you know, it's closed with COVID-19 mm. and has been for several months. So I just continue to get fatter and balder. <laughs> the balder has nothing to do with COVID-19, but.
2: We have a lot of great results with uh, stem cell and hair too. Oh, geez. Not after it gets he's, to your point. I'm sorry, He's sir. just <laughs> speaking. He's just... <laughs>
1: wow. So he set me up for that. He thought, you know, I'm going to make him think like he's got a sale here. And then all of a sudden he's like, "Nope, you're too far gone. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my.
3: Yeah.
1: Well, we, we kind hey, of we got are.
3: A, just a oh. Go ahead. Quick, quick closing question for you, because I, I know I'm thinking this. So I, I'm, I'm thinking that some of our listeners may be thinking this as well. So you've spoke to, um, helping, you know, celebrities and, and people that have um, vast resources. Uh, can you give us a, a, a price range? You know, what is it, what does it cost uh, to come down and, and to do this kind of stuff with you guys? I mean, just generally speaking.
2: Yeah, uh, good. Yeah, great question. I'm glad you brought it out. I didn't think of it. But so it, it isn't inexpensive. Um, you're looking at somewhere between 10000 and 40000 And I know that's a big gap, but, you know, we treat people with minor orthopedic issues, guys that just want to be out on the golf course or rejuvenation. And then we treat spinal cord injuries, which, you know, we've taken paraplegics that are now, you know, have level recoveries and control of their bowels and bladder and um, limited mobility. And so it's some pretty remarkable stuff. Um, They're never going to be doing Ironmans or anything, but, um, you know, that's when you get into the higher level protocol of somewhere around 40,000, unfortunately not covered by insurance. The cool thing is, is that it really turns out to be a pretty nice vacation because most of the treatments are fairly um, not invasive. So um, we have these programs and if you go to our YouTube channel, um, you'll see a lot of our patients end up doing extracurricular things like paragliding and um, some really cool things around the city. So it's kind of, you know, it's a little bit of a mini vacation too.
1: Do they do any digging for Pablo Escobar's money?
2: No, but they go on the Pablo tour, you know, where you can go see the jail and he has a, you know, they have a a rhinoceros. They're being overrun by rhinoceroses now in Hmm. in South America or in Colombia specifically because he brought them from Africa. And now they're just, you know, multiplying. Now it's a a thing there. You know, now they're almost indigenous. Wow, that's not. crazy.
1: That's one thing I didn't hear about with uh, with his story. So that's interesting.
0: Do we
2: have enough time to give a little present to you guys? Um, I, you know, typically I and I I'm super appreciative of the the time you've given me here. Usually I bring like a, a little coffee mug or something to to remember us by. But now, and I never thought I'd be doing this, but I have masks. Huh. So we did donate Absolutely. a bunch of masks to uh, first responders here locally. And thank um, you. The same mask that you probably saw. Chuck Liddell and Henry Cejudo and those guys wearing recently. But so when you're
1: out there, be safe,
2: be safe with BioAccelerator.
1: Yeah, no. Shameless you. plug there. No, sorry. <laughs> no, thank you very much. This is a very nice mask. And that comes from a guy whose wife and daughter have made over a thousand masks over the last uh, oh, couple of cool. months. Yeah. Oh, very cool. Good. And, uh, you know, not for profit. It was for, you know, donating to refugee programs and so forth. So it's it's been a fun project for my wife and daughter to do together, which has been awesome. But we have to, we'd be remiss if we didn't let you tell us, you know, how we find you, right? You mentioned the YouTube channel. So mention a few things on how people can get in touch with you and, and learn more about BioAccelerator.
2: Okay. Yeah, perfect. So our website is BioAccelerator. It's B-I-O and then a big X, accelerator.com, B-I-O-X-C-E-L-L-E-R-A-T-O-R, bioaccelerator.com. Uh, but the YouTube channel, I think, is where you'll get a really good flavor of who we are. You'll see our patients, you'll see... Uh, the safety and efficacy of the treatment. You'll see the laboratory, you'll see everybody gowned up and, you know, you, you, you can tell that it's a very high level organization. Um, and, and then you'll see some of the fun side too. You'll see our patients having a lot of fun, uh, patients having fun together, our doctors, our nurses. Um, so that'll be a, a, a better flavor for who we really are as an organization. So I'd say our YouTube channel is good. Catch us on social media, hashtag bioaccelerator. Um, we have a little kind of a movement that started with some of our celebrity athletes, bio X men and bio X women. Mm. So a lot of times you'll see them wearing the shirt and, you know, being strong after their stem cell.
1: Very cool. Yeah. Well I've learned a lot and I've enjoyed the conversation. I, I think that uh you know what you guys are doing is is important for a lot of people, um, maybe eventually for everybody, right? Hopefully, And and we've learned some some really important things here. And, and for me personally, just your journey and what you're doing and how you're passionate about it, that's what kind of shines through for everybody. You know, I tell people all the time, do what you're passionate about and find a way to make money doing it, right? And it's not always possible, right? But you do the best that you can. And, and if you do find something that you can be passionate about, then it's going to come through in, in what you're doing. And And it helps you build a nice business and and do something good for your community. So thank you very much for being here. Thank you for the invite. I've had a great time. Thanks, guys.
3: Yeah, thanks a lot, Eric. Really enjoyed it. Absolutely. Thanks.
0: You've been listening to Tycoons of Small Biz, proudly hosted by Austin Peterson and Landon Mance.